All right. Well, let's open up our Bible today to Exodus chapter 3. As we continue a study, it's called Theology 101, and we're going to get into a section now, and together we're going to study the names of God. Um, the study of the names of God is really one of the most incredible journeys we can ever take in life. One of the things you'll find as you study the Bible is that the people in biblical days, they didn't name their children or even their cities superficially or randomly. All those names had meaning. You know, nowadays most people name their children names that are good-sounding, it usually doesn't have a whole lot to do with good meaning. You know, sometimes parents even do research before their children are born as far as what's popular or what's the most successful names of the day and how does it sound, how does it roll off my lips. But most of you know that that's not how it was in biblical days. They would name their children names with meaning. You know, this one came out as a hill catcher, and so they named him Jacob. It means hill catcher. This one came out, you know, really hairy, and so they named him Harry. Actually, they named him Esau, <laughs> and that means hairy. Or this one caused pain at birth, and so we'll call him Jabez because it means pain. And really, all the kids probably should be named Jabez huh? because they all cause pain, you know. But when you read the Bible, you see that names are significant. It was a revelation of something about the individual or something that was going on when the child was born or something that would be in the child's future that God had revealed to them, you know. And we have names like Adam, and his name means man, or Eve, and her name means life and living. You know, we have Abram, his name means exalted father, but eventually God changed his name to being Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And we see that his son's name was Isaac, and it means laughter. And just all the names, when we read the Bible, they had such beautiful significance. And it's with that perspective that we study the names of God. Because when you begin to understand that that's the way it works, that these are not just random names, they're revelations of who he is, then it's so cool because you go down this journey, this road of discovery, and you learn about who God is. And that's really what this whole series is all about. I shared with you guys in the very get-go that we need to be careful that we don't become anthropocentric people, that we don't become man-centered. It's all about me. And not only, you know, looking in the mirror and wanting to, you know, bless myself, but even looking in the mirror and sometimes focusing on our flaws and failures and sins. Because I think we need to lift our eyes. And I really believe that when we discover who God is with a heart that's open, it will radically change us. You know, like I've shared with you guys from the beginning, and I hope you never forget, you know, there is a place for self-examination. There is. But it doesn't replace concentration on Christ. That when we get to know who God is, I really believe it begins to work inside of us. And we get to know Him, and we get to love Him and the Bible says that when we love him, we will obey him. But if I tell you to obey, 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 but you don't know who he is, then you won't love him and you won't obey. But if I say, look at how awesome God is, get to know him, you'll love him and obey him. And today is one of the most wonderful names of God 
that we have really in the whole Bible. In one sense, it's almost like the name of all names. And you'll, you'll see as we go through our study here, we pick it up in Exodus chapter 3, when God is commissioning Moses to go and to rescue the people who are in bondage in Egypt, you know. And, you know, when you read the Bible, now Moses would be the man who would be given literally the scriptures to explicitly reveal who God is. And so now God at this juncture in history is getting specific as far as who he is. And so he comes, he appears to Moses in a burning bush, and he tells him, listen, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to the, the king, you know, President Obama, wherever it is. I want you to get past all the security. And you know what? I'll, don't worry. I'll help you. I'll get through that. I want you to go into the, the, the room. And there would be the Pharaoh. He'd be lifted up. He'd be on his throne. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. And for Moses, that was difficult for a number of reasons. Not only would it be difficult just to go and, you know, think about it. I'm going to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. But even the people of Israel, I mean, they don't know me. And to be honest with you, I don't know you. I don't know who you really are, God. And, I, and, I, and it's a kind of an interesting thing. You know, you would figure that God would call a man who already knew everything, huh? You'd figure that God would call a man who already knew his name and nature and everything about him. But God called Moses, just like God called Saul, just like God called Raul, just like God called all these guys that he chose in his sovereign grace. And then he began to reveal himself to them. And so Moses here is having a struggle with that. He's like, I, don't, I can't speak. I, I don't know. I'm not the man. You know what? And, and, and then the Lord just says, listen, you got to go. And so in verse 13, Moses asks God a, a question. He says, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You know, I, if I was to, prior to this study, ask you what God's name is, we'd probably get a lot of different answers, huh? You know, because when we read the Bible, there's kind of a, a lot of different answers, you know? Some would say Jehovah. Some would say Yahweh. Some would say Jesus. Some would say God. You know, some would say Lord. Some might say, I know Hebrew, it's Adonai or Elohim or whatever. And, and that's true. All those are true. But this revelation right here is the foundation, really, of all the names of God. Because he says, I am Jesus. I am Lord. I am God. I am is the name, really, of the name of God. And you look at that and you kind of wonder, well, that's a, an interesting name. I, I am. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I'm going to share with you a few things as far as what this name of God reveals about God. Number one, God says, I exist. I exist. Just in case you're ever wondering, <laughs> I want you to know I am. Number two, he says, I'm outside of time. And so just in case you're here and you think God is the God of past history or God is the God of future prophecy, God says, no, I'm the God of now. I am. Not just history, not just prophecy. I am. I exist. 
And then I am outside of time. But number three, I am all that you'll ever need or want. And we're going to see how this all unfolds in our study today. Number one, I am. I exist. Now, it's not an argument. It's just a declaration. God does exist. The Hebrew word means to be. And later, when we do study the name of Yahweh, we're going to see that that's what it means. It just means I exist. I am. It means to be. And when you look at that, you know, one of the things that you'll find about the Bible is that God reveals his names when the people need to know this aspect of who he is. And so it's quite possible that the Jews, having been in Egypt for over 400 years, now as slaves, are seemingly without hope. Perhaps they had come to a point in their life when maybe they weren't, you know, positional atheists. Maybe they were, but perhaps they were practical atheists. You know, if you worry, you're a practical atheist. Did you know that? And maybe that's where they were at. Maybe they were even worse than worry. Maybe they were deep in despair. You know, even today, 25% of the Jews don't believe in God because they've been through so much. But I'm sure back here in Bible times when they heard the stories that probably sounded more like fairy tales to them about how supposedly God Almighty had appeared to Abraham and promised him not only descendants, but God had promised them a free land. You know, God had promised them that through them, supposedly, the whole world would be blessed. And I'm sure that they heard those stories about how God had chosen Isaac and then Jacob, about how God had even wrestled with Jacob and changed his name to Israel so that Jacob would no longer be a manipulating hill catcher, but now he was supposed to be, you know, a a follower of God, ruled by God. I'm sure they heard the stories of Joseph and how even though his brothers sold him, that supposedly God had providently sent him ahead to preserve the Jews, how God had meant it for good, even when his brothers meant it for evil. You know, I'm sure they heard all those things, all those stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and Joseph. But today, now as they wake up every morning and they go outside to get scourged as slaves, children dying, wives are crying, they see no good in it. They don't see those truths. They only see the trap. This is all a trap. There's no God. You're not God. You're not. It's not true. And so God appears to Moses and he says, tell them that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Tell them that I do exist. Tell them that I am real. Tell them that even though they can't see me and all they see is the heartache they're going through, tell them that I am. You know, and one of the most common questions from the skeptics of today, they say, you know, if there is a God, then why is there so much evil in the world today? And we would say, well, it's because of sin. It's because of Satan. It's because of free will. You know, God didn't make us as robots programmed to obey, to do what's right. He made us as free moral agents. We're free. But with that freedom, we have chosen to do evil as humanity, even to the point that when Adam fell, all creation fell with him. 
Please understand, though, even in the midst of all the difficulties and all the questions and all the uncertainties of life, there's one certainty that we can stand on, that God is. He's still there. He's still here. He is the great I am. One day God will make every wrong right. Justice will prevail. One day this will take place. But in the meantime, I promise you this, you will suffer. You're going to struggle. We will cry. One day we'll die. But whatever you go through, please do not lose heart. As Christians, one day we will be home in heaven. And if you ever dabble with doubt due to the difficulties of life, to where you're tempted to say, and sometimes we say, but we won't say it out loud, but we say it almost in an intangible way. God doesn't really exist. He's not real. He's just not. Remember, that when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am. I am. See, God does exist. God said, I am. I exist, no matter what you're going through. God said, I am. I exist. God said, I am. I always exist. It's such an awesome title when you think about it. God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's such an awesome title when you think about it, you know, especially when you compare it to everything and anything else, especially human beings. You know, I would call myself, I ain't. That's probably what I would call myself. He's the great I am. I'm the I ain't, you know, or you know, that's what we are. Not only is God the great I am, but he is the great I am who is outside of time. I mean, before any of us were born, they probably said he or she, speaking of us humans, will be, right? And then when we were born, I suppose we might say in a boastful way, I am, but it wouldn't be much longer when people would say, I was, he was, right? But God is always and has always been I am. You see, in this title, and you'll see it more in the Hebrew language when you study it, because really the word can be translated I am and I will be at the same time. It's a real amazing word. What it's really speaking to us in the, in the original language is that God is the eternal God outside of time. Pastor Chuck Smith said this, and I quote, As God declared I am, he was actually speaking of that eternal aspect of his character. He is the eternal one. The angel of the waters declared him as the one who is and who was and is to be all at once. In Revelation 16.5, he's past, present, and future. With God, however, there is no past, there is no future. It's all now. He dwells in the eternal. I can't really conceive that, but with God, he dwells in the eternal now. End quote. I mean, that, that just blows your mind when you think about it. If that doesn't blow a fuse in us as feeble folks, I don't know what will. How can one be outside of time, past, present, future? But that is the revelation of who God is. We call it the past, the present, and the future. They're all the now to God. He was, he is, he is to come all right now. That's why when he looked at Peter, he called him rock. 
Now, when I look at Peter, when God called him there in Luke chapter 5, the big, fat sinner that he was, you know, the failure that he would be for the next three years, I would see no rock and I would not call him. But God sees the rock. We got to see the way God sees. That's why it's so important for us, especially in ministry, to be very careful that you don't look at the external, that you don't focus on one's flaws because God is the God of grace and God sees the rock. God looks at the heart. It's a lot deeper than we think. Why? Because he's the God outside of time. That's why. That's why when he looks at you, as a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. When you read Ephesians, it says that you're seated in the heavenly places. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm in Almani. That's what you're thinking, right? <laughs> and these chairs are kind of nice, but I don't know about the heavenly places, Manny. I'm sorry, but you are. The Bible says you're there. You're there. It's done. You're his, your home. How can God say that? Well, because he's the God outside of time. I am. I exist. I exist always. That's where he's at. It's an amazing thing. Isaiah 57, 15 is a good cross-reference. It says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. He inhabits. He fills. He lives in eternity, the Bible says. And that's who God is. Now maybe you're here and you're listening to a study like that and you're saying, you know what, Manny, it sounds to me like God is kind of boasting about who he is. Man. <laughs> and you know what, in a sense he is. I wouldn't really call it boasting, though. I would simply say he's revealing himself to you, to us. We get a glimpse, we get a grip, we have this perspective so that we could have peace you see i mean think about it you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you don't i mean none of us here knows if we're going to be alive tomorrow none of us here knows if someone's going to get in an accident tomorrow or you know we hear some news from the doctor about you know different things it could be cancer it could be so many things none of us has a clue what's going to happen tomorrow it might be the biggest earthquake that this world has ever had. I mean, Jesus might come today. None of us here knows. There's so many uncertainties about us. But God is already there. God is already there. He sees everything that you're going to go through. And when you know that he's outside of time, and you have that proper perspective, I think it brings peace when you follow him. And that's why it's so important that you follow him. He'll prepare you. He will prepare you. For everything you'll face in life. You know, God is not boasting. He's revealing himself to you so that we can apply these things to our life. For example, Deuteronomy 33, 27, it says the eternal God is your refuge. There it is, the eternal God. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting, the everlasting arms he will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say destroy. And when that demon or when that person influenced by a demon tries to come against you and you are God's kid, God will say destroy. And when God says destroy, God will give you the victory. You see, and, and you learn about who God is and it brings a peace to our hearts. God says, I am. 
I exist, I exist always, past, present, and future. You know, there might be some of us here today, and perhaps the Jews of that day, who maybe believed in a God who was. A God who was. Yeah, I read the Bible, and I see the history. Or maybe they were there today or then and you're here today and you're thinking, well, he's the God of the future. He's the God of prophecy. I'm sure he'll probably be there when I die. He was then and, and he'll be then. But God wants to know that that doesn't, that doesn't fly. That's not the way he is. He's the God of right now. He wants us to know that. He wants you to know that the same God of history and the same God of prophecy is the God of today. He's the God of this moment. He's the God of right now, always right now. You know, when I was preparing for this message, you know, I was thinking, and sometimes you think, Lord, you know, I pray that you would bless the message. I pray that you would bring the right people there. I pray that when your word, this word is declared that your Holy Spirit will be there to, to, to just encourage the people and, you know, when necessary, convict the people. And if there's anyone here who's not following you, Lord, on that Sunday, first service, second service, third service, Lord, how you love every single individual, I would pray, you know, Lord, will you bless the study. And I'll be looking forward, even though I'm studying on Friday and Saturday, I'll be looking forward to this moment. But then the Lord reminded me, I'm the God of the garage too, Manny. I mean, you're here and you're looking forward to the sanctuary on Sunday, but I want you to know that right now in your garage, as you're studying in your garage, I'm the God of right now, right now. I'm right there. And that'll always be, always in our life, wherever we're at. And it's so cool when you know that because I think we spend so much time looking back or so much time looking forward Tomorrow, tomorrow, when God says, no, right now, right now. You see, that's who God is. It's not just when it passes, and there you are, you're going through a trial, when it passes, you know. But it's in the midst of every piece of the process of the passing, right now. And we have to just soaking in which by the way it brings us to our last point god said i am i exist god said i am i always exist and god says in his amazing love and humility i am and i always exist in this covenant relationship with you i want you to know and it's kind of a humbling thing but i want you to know that i always exist in this covenant relationship for you. And I'll be there for you. And I'll be anything and everything that you will ever need for the rest of eternity. And that just blows your mind. You know, theologians tell us that in the name, this I am, says in one sense that he becomes all that we ever need in life whenever and wherever we are. Maybe you're here today and you're weak. God says, I'll be your strength. Maybe you're here today and you're puzzled, perplexed, and God says, you know what, I'll be your peace. 
I'll be your wisdom. You know, maybe you're here or maybe there we are and we're sad or maybe we're bad. And God says, I'll be your dad. Right? And he gives you a piece of candy to make you smile or he gives you a spanking to straighten you out, you know. But he is whatever we need. He is. He is. You know, I was thinking about Abraham and you know how the Lord revealed himself to Abraham in Genesis 15, 1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. You know, Abraham may have been worrying about, you know, well, I don't know, it's kind of dangerous out here. And, you know, this is what I want in life. I want, I want a son. I want like, a, you know... Uh, descendants and that's cool but the Lord said no I want to be that I'm your shield I'm your reward in life kids are cool you know but the Bible does say that there are some people who are content with kids you know and kids are cool I love my kids like crazy but they're not my life I don't worship them you got to be careful (laughs) The ministry is cool. It's wonderful. I love serving in the ministry. There's nothing like it. But it's not my God. My God is my God. He is my reward. He's whatever you need. As a matter of fact, let's close today. And we could just spend, you know, a trillion hours looking at all the ways that God revealed himself as being everything and anything that his people needed. But let's close um, by looking at some of the statements of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am, and seven times in the book of John, he got specific. Let's start over in John chapter 8. Because we see there in Exodus 3, verse 14, that God said, when you go over there and you talk to the people, the Jews there, I want you to tell them, I am that I am, that I am has sent you. Now, when they translated that into uh, Greek, uh, when they translated the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language, uh, there was a version of the Bible that was known as a Septuagint. And so the Septuagint would be, you know, written in Greek, everybody would understand it. And instead of saying I am, that's our English version, the Greek would be ego and me, ego and me. And all the Jews knew that ego and me, that was God, you know. I am. That's who God is. But here we see in John chapter 8 that Jesus revealed himself to the Jews. And as they're arguing and Jesus is trying to tell them a little bit about who he is, you know, um, we pick it up here in verse 54. Notice what it says. It says, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. He's trying to convince them that you guys, you're religious. You don't know God. You don't know him. If you knew him, you would love me, Jesus said. You know, they just got so caught up in their religion and their positions. And, you know, they just missed the whole point. Jesus came you know, to be outside of the religious box. Jesus came to save sinners, and they just never really got it. They got caught up in their own kingdom, and they didn't like the way Jesus was pulling people away from them. 
and not going according to their rules and regulations. And so it was a real battle between these religious leaders and Jesus. And so he said in verse 56, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, verily, verily, in the Greek language, it's amen, amen. He said, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego in me. They knew exactly what he was talking about, right? And so look what it says in verse 59. They took up stones to throw at him. Why would they want to stone him? Because he was declaring himself to be God. And they fought it tooth and nail. It was clear. They considered it blasphemy. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. See, Jesus identifies himself as I am. We see it very clearly. As a matter of fact, just in case, and every once in a while I like to share this verse, look what it says in verse 24 of the same chapter. It says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, if you'll notice in your Bible, the word he is italicized, and that means it's not in the original language. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And that's why it's important. That's why it's vital. It's crucial. It's critical to believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great I am. And the Gospel of John, it's a gospel that's written to just emphasize the deity of Christ. We have seven I am statements that I want to go over you real brief with you real briefly and just kind of show you how it works. You know, how... Whatever it is, wherever you're at in life, God says, I want to be, I want to be I am to you. I want to be what you need. I want to be everything and anything that you need. I want to be not a precept or a principle, a person. I am, God says. That's who I, I want to be to you. If you go over to John chapter 6, and we don't have time to, to read everything, but you know maybe you can go later if you've never gone through these and uh, just you know um, read the context here. But John chapter six, what had happened real quick is that the people of uh, the time were following Jesus because he he gave them food, he gave them fish sandwiches, and they liked it, and it was probably the best fish sandwich that they ever had. I'm sure he was a brilliant chef. Right? And uh, you guys see those cooking shows nowadays, and they got the chef wars. I mean, he'd win every single one, you know? It's the best food. And so imagine that, you know, you go, wow, not only is it free, it's, it's just excellent food. And so everybody was following him for the food that they could eat physically, right? And, and so Jesus begins to talk to them, and they're saying, hey, you know, Moses, you know, gave us bread from heaven, and, and the Lord just. He just shares with them a couple of things here in John chapter 6. First of all, in verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, when you look at the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, every single one speaks of salvation, but also sanctification. You got to go to Jesus or you'll die. You'll die. You won't survive. You need food to live on, right? No food, you die. The food for our soul is Him. It's Christ. 
It's a personal relationship with Jesus. But not only does he save us as we partake of his sacrifice, but he sanctifies us and he keeps us satisfied in life. I'm telling you this right here. If you're here today and you're hungry and thirsty and you're not satisfied and you're not you know, content in a wonderful personal relationship with God, then it's because you're not in right relationship to Jesus Christ. I love bread. I really do. Don't you guys love bread? It's amazing, man. It's so good. But Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, Manny. See? If you're hungry, then you need to go to Jesus. First of all, to be saved. But if you're saved and you're still hungry, then you need to come closer to Jesus. You know, we see the second I am statement over in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And this is kind of interesting because real quick, the backdrop is Jesus is there at the festival and they had the huge menorah. Some say it was 40 feet. Now, 40 feet is tall. That's a telephone pole. It's crazy, right? But that's what some historians say. It was just this huge menorah and everybody would come and just trip out on the menorah. That light. But Jesus went and he corrected them in verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you go over to chapter 9, in verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, we need light or we can't see. We need Jesus to satisfy our hunger. We need Jesus to light the way in a dark and wicked world. You see, that's who he is. And I think a lot of us find ourselves there, if you're really honest. I mean, if you're just honest, you know, we're not here to be vague and, you know, you know, false. We, are, you, are you hungry? Do you feel like something's missing in your life? It's, well, it's because you're not either saved or sanctified. You're not close enough to the Lord, the love, Jesus. Are, are you here and you just feel so... You know, unsure about everything, the, the future, even the present, sometimes it feels so dark. God says, I'm the light of the world. I, I want to brighten this whole path for you. It's all about cultivating that relationship with him. If you continue on here in John chapter 10, in verse 7, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. Now again, speaking of salvation, speaking of sanctification, how do you get to heaven? How are you going to get home? This isn't your home. I don't care how nice your house is. That's not your home, right? We're fish out of water. Heaven is supposed to be our home. How do you get home? It's through Jesus Christ. You know, and all these other guys, all these other religious guys, they were thieves, they were robbers, they were deceivers. Jesus said, I'm the door. I am the way that you get in. And all the places that God wants you to go in life, it's through Christ. You see, it's all about that 
relationship with him. I don't know if you ever feel shut out. I know sometimes you can go to church service and there can be a whole bunch of people there and you might say hi to that guy and that gal and whatever, but still sometimes, I don't know, you kind of still feel shut out. And God says, listen, I'm the door. And when you have that right relationship with him, you don't feel that way anymore because you're in. You're in, you go through the door. It's just a wonderful, wonderful God that we have. You know, if you find yourself shut out, he's the door. Later on in John chapter 10 and verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he was not the shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and he splits. He leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. See, all these people needed to hear this. You know, I don't know if it was necessarily like these are seven aspects that give us a complete picture of God. I don't think it's that way, because there's not a complete picture of God. I mean, it's an infinite picture. There'll never be a complete picture of God. But these are things that these people needed to hear at that time, and I would venture to say that there are things that we need to hear today. Today, that God wants you to know I'm the bread of life. I will satisfy you if you cultivate that personal relationship with me. God says, I'm the light of the world. And you may feel like you're walking in this dark place, but I will light the path for you. Nothing else will. I will. And God says, listen, if you feel shut out, I want you to know that I'm the door. There's no other door. And sometimes you feel even as a sheep, man, you feel like, man, it's crazy. And, and God says, listen, the, the shepherd that I am, I'm not just like one of those shepherds who, you know, I'm in it for the money. I'm not, I'm not here for the prestige or the position. I have no ulterior motives whatsoever. There's no darkness in me at all. I am a pure shepherd. I love you so much that I'm going to die for you. You see, and we need to know that. that he's our good shepherd. If you get a chance, I encourage you to read Psalm 23. And then over in John chapter 11, when the people of God are facing death and they're confronted with the death of a loved one. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. See, it's not a precept, it's not a principle, it's a person. And when your loved one passes away and when they know the Lord, you have concrete to stand on. Why? Because he's the resurrection and the life. That they're there in heaven waiting for you. And one day when you're there and you're at death's door, you'll have that concrete underneath you. You'll know I'm going home. I was talking to an individual the other day and they were telling me about you know, this person that was passing away. And they were there and they tried to minister to this person who was passing away. And the person that was passing away, you know what they said? They said, I don't need faith right now. <laughs> that it was just so real to them. Heaven. And where they were going right now. And, you know, I don't know how all that works, but man, that's the way that we need to be. Because, you know, our hope is not in a 
principle or a precept. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. We don't need to fear death for ourselves. We don't need to fear death for our loved ones. See? John 14, verse 6, we have the sixth one of seven. And you guys remember the story in verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. You know, remember, the Lord here is it's the upper room discourse. Maybe he's making his way now to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's telling them uh, a little bit about what's going to happen. He says, listen, I'm going to leave. I'm taking off now. But don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Because when I leave, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go make a place for you. And I heard he was a pretty good carpenter, so he's been working on this for a while. He's making a place for you, a personal custom place for you. And, you know, the way you know, and you guys know where I'm going, I'm sure you've got it all figured out. And so, you know what, thumbs up, right? And all the apostles are, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of them knew what he was saying. <laughs> None of them knew the way. They didn't know where he was going. And so Thomas, he speaks up. I love Thomas. He said, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, he's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. I love that song by Keith Green. I was so lost. I was so lost. But he showed me the way. I was lied to. I was lied to. He gave me the truth. I was dead. I was dead. And he gave me life. And that's who Christ is. You know, there's not a whole bunch of ways to heaven. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ, right? And that's who he is. The last one we see over in John chapter 15. Maybe you're hungry. Your soul is hungry. God says, have some of my bread. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Maybe you're blind. You're blind. God says, listen, I'm the light. I will light your way. Maybe you're shut out. You're shut out. You don't know how to get in. God says, here's the door. I'll open it for you. Come through Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're, you know, deceived. God says, I'm the good shepherd. All the others are robbers and thieves. I'm the good shepherd. I give my life for you. Maybe you're here and you're dealing with death. Someone passed on or maybe you're afraid to die. God says, I'm the resurrection and the life. You don't have to be afraid. Maybe you're wondering, is Jesus really the way? He says, yes, explicitly, I am the way the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Or maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, I am unable. And here in John chapter 15, the Lord said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. And I like this right here because it's a good way to end it. I am the true vine and you are the branches. I like that. Because we're talking about who God is, who God is, who God is. 
And then we say, this is who I am in you. And that's the way it should work in life. You know, it's not about, you know, first of all, who I am, who I am, who I am. No, it's who God is. And then who you are in God. And he is the true vine. All other vines are false vines. He's the true vine. And as you abide in him as a branch, you will bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And that's what we want for our life. What does it mean to abide? Well, it literally means to remain, stay there. It means to rest in him. We're not working. We're resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He's the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this is where we end today and we say, Lord, thank you for who you are. You know, when the Lord, and we'll close with this, when he appeared to Moses and he commissioned him and he revealed himself as the great I am, earlier in that chapter, the Bible says that God came down and appeared in, in this burning bush, you know, and so Moses looks over, he begins to speak with God after he takes off his sandals, and God said, you know what, I, 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 I hear their cries. God says, I, I, I see what's going on in their life. I know their sorrows. God was so intimately involved with their life. God says, I see, I hear, I know exactly what's going on. And I have come down to deliver them. And that's who God is. And that's what he's done. And we really need to be encouraged in that. It's all about who he is and not who we are. You know, Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great I am, the great I am is with us always. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in every heart and every life. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we are in you. Thank you for revealing yourself as the great I am. Whatever we need, need. Whatever we need, you are. You're a superhero. You're our, our elbow healer. You are a friend, you are a shepherd, you are a daddy, you are a strength, you are a wisdom, you are a love, you are a peace, you are a life. Thank you for being I am, everything to us. And Lord, I pray uh, as you're our Savior, you're a convictor, <laughs> Lord, that if there's any here today who uh, maybe don't know you, Lord, or 
they need to make a recommitment to you that today, Lord God, you would work in their life and in their heart. And we know your word says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the sins in our life have separated us from a holy God. And your word says that the wages of sin is death, hell, and then the lake of fire. But your word says that if we repent, if we turn from our sins and trust in you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, by faith, your word says we have life. It's the good news of the gospel. It's free for us. It wasn't free for you. You died on the cross, but then they buried you, and three days later you rose again to give us life. If we repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, not just the one who died for us, but the one who will from this day forward rule over us. We submit to your Lordship. And so, Lord, I pray if there's any here today who don't know you, that you, Lord, would speak to them and that they would give you their life. If there are any here today who are drifted away from you, Father, that you would just place it in their heart right now, Lord, to recommit their life to you. Please, Lord. And with everybody praying and all eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you need to recommit your life to Christ, or if you're here today and you want salvation, right where you're at, would you stand to your feet? And just in case there's anyone here, we want to pray for you. Anyone here need to recommit your life to Christ, or, or you don't really know that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You don't have that assurance. If there's anyone here today, this is your opportunity to have life, to have that assurance, to know for sure that your sins are forgiven and then when you die, you'll be home with him in heaven. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in life, but you need to make it. Anyone here? Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can present the gospel. And Lord, forgive me for, you know, not doing it every time. I commit to do this every time to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a new work in the church and in the hearts and in the lives of your people, Lord. We love you. You are so good. Thank you for this marvelous message of who you are. Lord, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.